Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeart Radio app. Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. And you're here. Thanks for choosing the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Your quest for podcasts of the paranormal, supernatural, and the unexplained ends here. We invite you to enjoy all our shows we have on this network. And right now, let's, let's start, start with Shades of the Afterlife with Sandra Champlain. Welcome to our podcast. Please be aware the thoughts and opinions expressed by the host are their thoughts and opinions only and do not reflect those of iHeartMedia, iHeartRadio, Coast to Coast AM, employees of Premier Networks, or their sponsors and associates. We would like to encourage you to do your own research and discover the subject matter for yourself. I'm Sandra Champlain. For over 25 years, I've been on a journey to prove the existence of life after death. On each episode, we'll discuss the reasons we now know that our loved ones have survived physical death, and so will we. Welcome to Shades of the Afterlife. We often hear near-death experience stories where people witness floating up out of their body, where people see themselves being worked on by hospital staff, where people see their deceased loved ones. After the near-death experience, it completely changes their life forever. It is rare to have all of them in one near-death experience. I want to share with you now a conversation I had with Karen Blance Thomas. And be sure to stay till the end because she's got some powerful words of wisdom. I know you'll really appreciate hearing her story. My near-death experience was so long ago. It was 35 years ago. At that time, I was just a young mom, fairly young. I was 32. And my kids were nine and six. And my husband and I had moved from our home in upstate New York to Alaska. And my husband was working on the oil field, the Prudhoe. And I was working in the main 
Trauma Hospital in Anchorage. At that time, it was Alaska Hospital and Medical Center. My career is physical therapy. And so I was able to get a job working in the physical therapy department there. Five years before, I had an injury to my low back and I had a ruptured disc and had to have a laminectomy. And in working with some of the more stressful, traumatic patients that we had to work with, an incident happened that caused me to rupture another disc in my back. So I was set up for surgery and was one of the first surgical patients in the morning, right in the same hospital where I worked. My husband and the kids came into the hospital and were there to walk beside the stretchers. They brought me down to the operating room. And in the operating room, they were having me on my stomach to be able to open up my back to do the surgery. And I remember the anesthetic coming in through the IV, and then it was lights out. Until suddenly, my awareness was that I was about three or four inches from the ceiling tiles Mm. and looking at these ceiling tiles from very close up and being totally puzzled as to why that was happening until I started hearing the surgeons swearing and hearing the anesthesiologist saying that the blood pressure had bottomed out and a nurse running out to get blood transfusion. And my awareness then was back at the operating room table where I could see they were in the process of flipping my body from face down to face up. And I realized that was me with this very white face that I was looking at and seeing the turmoil that was happening in there. I immediately thought that I must be dead, but I was totally calm and unconcerned about that body down there, but did have some concern for my husband and the kids. They're in a waiting room. Mm -hmm. And so I had this desire to go to them to, to let them know that I was okay. And as soon as I had that desire, I began to drift and I literally drifted through the wall of the operating room and out into the hallway that they had brought me down after getting in the OR suite. And so I went back the way I had come on the stretcher and I just drifted along, drifted through double doors going into the OR suite and out into another hallway. At this point, I suddenly realized that I was able to hear the thoughts of people. I saw this man in a brown jacket and pants and carrying a bag, and he was in a big hurry. And he was heading past open elevator doors and toward the operating suite. In his mind, I could hear him thinking, I've got to get in there. I have to get in there fast. I got to get there as soon as I can. I got to get there. And at the same time, there was another man that prior to this I hadn't been aware of was closer to those operating room doors. And I'm hearing his thoughts of, what's that guy doing thinking he can go in the OR? He's not allowed in there. Like, what's he doing? At that exact same moment, another voice from outside my consciousness said to me, look at this man. It's important remember it. And so I looked closely at the guy who was rushing and I looked at his facial features and 
his clothing and everything. As soon as that voice said that to me, and I watched the man open up the automatic doors and then go into the OR suite, as soon as he was out of sight, my own volition of trying to head toward the waiting room and my husband and my kids was gone. It was as though I was on a tractor beam that now had me and was moving me rather than my intention moving me. Mm. It began pulling me up through the ceiling of that floor and through the area where the heat ducts and the wires are and up to the next floor and then through another floor and up through that floor and finally completely out of the roof of the hospital itself and up into the sky up above it where I could see the mountains in the background. They were fairly close to where the hospital was. And then after that much of going up in the air, which was like easily as high as the mountains, suddenly the direction of pull was more lateral and I was going even faster and I was going very fast over the city of Anchorage itself and out toward the water. And at just about the point where I would be hitting going over the water, instead of being over the water, I was within this very dark cave-like structure, very black. And yet I'm calm. I'm perfectly comfortable. At this point, I began moving much faster than that. Very far in the distance, there was just a pinprick of light. Because of the speed that I was moving through this darkened area, that pinprick of light went from being a pinprick to getting bigger and bigger until the point where I suddenly burst into the full light itself. At that point, I was enveloped in this unbelievable, indescribable, immense love and peace and well-being, and joy, and all of the adjectives that don't begin to describe it, yeah. <laughs> actually. I was just overwhelmed with the, this feeling. Also at this point, I thought, oh, where am I? So I looked down, thinking to look at the ground, and I saw that where I should have feet, there was no feet, but there was ground, and it was a very dry, brown ground and there was different size rocks all over it and it was just a very arid looking spot and I remember thinking oh if I'm in heaven I didn't expect it to be dry and rocky and brown (laughs) and then my attention was drawn by a telepathic voice that said follow me and as I turned to to my left I saw uh, there was a man going up an incline hillside And as soon as I looked and heard that voice inside my head, I was immediately right behind him going up this incline. So I had time to examine the back of him. And I saw that he had almost black hair, quite long, pulled back and tied with a leather tie. He had a toga-like clothing on that was like mid-thigh or close above the knee. Mm -hmm. And he had sandals with leather ties that crisscrossed, wrapped up his calves. My instant thought was, that's not Jesus. Because I was very much into a fundamentalist type of Christian faith at that point in time. So I thought I had the answers. Right. I thought I knew if I'm dead, 
exactly what should happen and who should be there and that it should be absent from the body and present with Christ. It startled me and it threw me off base, but I followed him. So he went up over the lip of this inclined area. And when we came up over that, then it was an entirely different scene. And it was a gorgeous green meadow that was filled with flowers of all different kinds that I didn't ever remember having seen before. But the most important thing was I felt that this light that was everywhere was also within the grass, within the flowers, and it gave the flowers almost a neon light about them. And same with the leaves and the trees. uh, It was just stunning. So I was just mesmerized and must have been taking it in for a period of time because my guide had gone on ahead and he again communicated with me telepathically and he said, come here. And this was across the meadow and to the bank of a river. This river was just glistening, diamond, beautiful. And on the opposite bank of this river was my father who had died when I was seven and my brother who'd been killed in a car accident when I was 23 and various aunts and uncles who had passed away. And even four people that I had never met in this life, but I instantly knew were my four grandparents who had already died before I was born. And a whole group of others that were my deceased family. They looked young. They looked like they were around the same age that I was, actually. But it wasn't their looks that made me know who they were. It was their spirit was able to communicate with mine. And we knew each other at that depth of who we were and how we were family. And it was this huge welcoming, homecoming, family reunion feeling of, oh, wow, she's here. Isn't it wonderful? She's here. And of course, I felt the same way. And so I wanted to be across that water. I wanted to be with them instantly. We need to take a quick break, and I promise we'll be right back. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Stay right there. There's more Sandra coming right up. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. 
Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Take us with you anywhere. This is the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. And now more Sandra on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain. We are with Karen Blance Thomas hearing her near-death experience, one of the most extraordinary ones I've ever heard. Let's continue. This river was just glistening, diamond, beautiful. And on the opposite bank of this river was my father, who had died when I was seven, and my brother, who'd been killed in a car accident when I was 23, and various aunts and uncles who had passed away, and even four people that I had never met in this life, but I instantly knew were my four grandparents who had already died before I was born, and a whole group of others that were my deceased family. They looked young. They looked like they were around the same age that I was, actually, but it wasn't their looks that made me know who they were. It was their spirit was able to get with mine, and we knew each other at that depth of who we were and how we were family. And it was this huge, welcoming, homecoming, family reunion 
feeling of, oh, wow, she's here. Isn't it wonderful? She's here. And of course, I felt the same way. So I wanted to be across that water. I wanted to be with them instantly. My guide said, no, there's something else we have to do first. I was so disappointed. I I really wanted to go. But he said, no, somewhere else we have to go first. So I had to follow him. And so I went behind him down along the bank of the river and around a curve and into an opening where there was this immense building that was pearlescent white. It glowed actually so white and glistening. And it was like a Roman or Greek temple. It had so many stairs up the front and big columns, and it was just gorgeous. And there were other people, other spirits there, some going up the stairs, some coming down, some in groups talking with one another. Everyone dressed pretty much just in in simple flowing, light-colored clothing. My guide went up to the doorway and again said, follow me, we're going inside. And so I was instantly up behind him as he opened the doors and we went into this immense long room that went up for stories and it was completely filled with books and scrolls and things and down through the middle of this long room were tables and there were people sitting at the tables and were looking at books and my guide communicated to me this is the place where the book of life is stored That meant something to me from my knowledge of the Bible. And I thought, oh, wow, this is amazing. And I wanted to look around and explore. And he said, no, we're going to another place at the back. So we walked through this whole long room and down into a hallway and through a doorway into a much smaller room. And in this smaller room, there was a whole oval area of spirit people who were sitting and waiting for us to come in. In the center of this oval, instead of a table, there was like what I'd call, I compare it to a glass bottom boat because it was like a screen, but like you could see through it like when you're in a glass bottom boat. And they communicated to me that they were the spiritual people who had been with me and had helped me plan my lifetime. And that now we were going to review what had happened in my life up to this point. At that point in time, this screened area or that glass bottom boat area, it became like a hologram. I was instantly within the hologram being myself once again in all of the things that had happened in my life up to that point. More importantly, also being the people I was interacting with so that I could feel what they were feeling because of what I was saying to them or how I acted to them or vice versa, how they were acting to me and what I was feeling. It was all the feelings and the emotions involved in what I had done when I had done things that had made people feel better and when I had done things that had caused people to feel hurt. It was really an amazing, powerful experience that seemed to happen just like instantly. And though all of the people who were there, none of them were doing anything but sending me love and support. I was feeling bad, looking at my situations and saying, 
oh, if only I had done this instead of this. And if only I had realized when this person did this thing to me that hurt me, mm-hmm. they weren't really meaning to hurt me or they met it in a totally different way than I had taken it. Right. So all of that took place, it seemed like very quickly, but very intimately and detailed at the same time, because time is just not like it is here. So it's hard to put it into a time context to explain it. The feeling that I was getting from them was, that's fine. We're just showing you this to give you a context, more or less. And we love you and we know that you're a totally lovable person. And there was never any doubt in my mind that I wasn't fully loved in the time that I was there. Mm. With the life review, I not only had the life review portion, but they also communicated to me at that point, you can stay or you can return to your life. They said, if you return to your life before you decide, we want to show you some things through this hologram of what will happen if you go back and some things that may happen if you decide to return to your life. And so they showed me, and it was all related to me personally. It wasn't like the future of the earth or anything like that. So that was the last thing that that I have a, a memory of until the point where I'm with my guide in another spot. In this other place, it's a, a smaller room, but just him and I. And he's saying, I want to show you what's happening in the hospital. It was as though I could see down through the ceiling of the waiting room that my husband and my two kids were in. I could see the doctor who had been operating on me coming to the doorway in his scrubs and my husband getting up from a little couch in this waiting room and going over to the doorway and standing there by him. And then all of a sudden I was aware of of my kids being there and them being scared. Then my guide said, while you're seeing this, I want to show you those prayers of the people that you asked to pray for you. And so off to the side of this uh, one picture that I'm being shown, I see all of these prayers rising up and each of the prayers had its own vibration. So it was like it was being shown to me physically like a musical note. One prayer had this musical note and the next one had another and the next one had another and they were like linking one to another. The very last prayer that I was shown was my daughter praying that I would live because she was afraid I was dead. And at that point, got to get myself together. That's okay. Take all the time you need. We appreciate you sharing. All of the emotion of my life came back to me where I had been totally calm and detached through everything that had happened up to that point. It was as though that last prayer kind of linked me back into my human Karen emotion, my desire to not have my kids grow up without me and to be there for them. It made the decision for me that I needed to return to my life. Once I did make that decision, my guide said to me, you will have proof that this did happen to you and that it was real, but you're not going to be able to remember everything that has happened here, and you won't be allowed to remember the things about your future 
that you were shown, because if you did, your choices would no longer be your free will. They would be colored by what you knew was supposed to happen or was going to happen. You won't remember those things. But yes, you can return. That's the last thing I remember until waking up in the recovery room and my husband and my kids were beside the stretcher with me. Instantly, as I woke up, I was completely infilled with all that immense love and peace, that pure knowing that God loved me so much and that I was so important and I was so safe. It filled me and it also filled an area around me like a protective bubble. And I remembered all of my experience and I knew immediately that was my proof that it it actually had happened because otherwise I hadn't ever experienced anything like that before. And there it was, and along with the memory of what had just taken place. And then later in the hospital in recovery, one day after I got out of intensive care, This doctor came in to follow up with me as he walked in the room. I realized that he was the doctor or the person that I had seen running toward the OR room Mm -hmm. when I was out of body. So I knew that's why it was important for me to look at him and to remember him, because that was another proof for me as well that it had actually happened. And in fact, later on, when I went to a follow up appointment with him, I talked to him and I said, the day that my surgery happened, this is what I saw. I actually was able to be out of my body and I saw you coming in and rushing toward those doors. And I said, you were wearing just regular clothes, a brown jacket and stuff. And and is that what really happened? He said, yes. He said, I wasn't in on call in the hospital. I was at my office. And they paged me at my office stat to come in to see if I was going to be able to save your life. So he said, yes, that's what happened. I you know, came from outside the hospital. So that was my experience. And for a very long time after that, it was pretty difficult. This is a good time to take the break. When we come back, we'll hear more from Karen about the after effects, some of the things she learned about that guide who was not Jesus, and so much more. Please know that although you can't see the love around you, you are infinitely loved and supported. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Don't go anywhere. There's more Shades of the Afterlife coming right up. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. 
Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. On the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Listen anytime, anyplace. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, this is George Norrie, and you're listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Thanks for being here. Now let's get back to more with Sandra. to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain, and this is a story about a near-death experience by Karen Blance Thomas. She hasn't written a book. She's not in the movies. She's just a regular person with an extraordinary story to share. So last, she described to us coming out of the near-death experience, getting verified information from the doctor that although she was unconscious, She really did witness those things. And as a former fundamental Christian, she'll now explain more of her journey. A lot of what I had firmly believed and thought that I knew in terms of religion and being saved or not being saved and what heaven must be or not be, it just no longer fit with my actual experience and integrating back into my life was difficult for quite a while. People are a lot 
different now than they were. And since I've found IONS, International Association for Near-Death Studies, it's been very different for me. A lot of things have changed over my life. When you had your experience, how clear was your vision and your hearing? Extremely clear, much more clear. I'm a person who's been nearsighted. I got my first glasses when I was seven. And so without my glasses, I can't see my hand in front of my face hardly, but everything was crystal clear. The ability to almost be able to look through a microscope, like when I was told to pay attention to this man, this is important. I was able to zero in on his facial features and what he was wearing and who he was up close without actually being up close. It was like I wanted to see it close, I could see it close. And that was the way everything was when I was looking at the flowers, when I was looking at all of the different things. I could see them in much closer, vibrant detail than I ever could have without my glasses here. (laughs) You tell this story like it happened yesterday. How clear does the memory survive 35 years later? Definitely more clear than pretty much anything else because it's a memory, but it's more than a memory. Each time you tell it, a portion of your consciousness is literally reliving it. And it's that detailed. Whereas if you asked me if I went into the hospital that I worked in Anchorage, which direction would I turn to go to the physical therapy department that I worked in? 35 years ago, I literally could not tell you that. It's on a totally different plane of memory than any other experience. One of the things that's recently happened because of my interaction with some of the scientists and researchers in near-death experiences and people who have spoken at the conferences, there's a great deal of study that's been going into where does the consciousness that happens in a near-death experience come from if the brain is not functional. And if you accept the scientific explanation that all consciousness is produced by the brain, how is that possible? In thinking about that in depth, I realized that when I became conscious in the recovery room, my memory of what had just taken place with my near-death experience was crystal clear was just absolutely right there. Plus, with that whole bubble of love and peace, my consciousness of myself, my physical body, and what had just taken place was very muddled because I was coming out of anesthesia. Mm -hmm. I was so muddled that I knew I was in the hospital. I knew that I was in a recovery room but I wasn't sure what had happened to me that made me be in the hospital and in a recovery room. I wasn't remembering that my back was being operated on because I had a ruptured disc and I had a big bloated stomach with staples all down the front of it. And another fascinating thing, for a long time after my near-death experience, I was trying to fit a square peg into a round hole in terms of trying to fit my experience into classical, traditional Christianity. Anytime I was in church and 
there was scripture relating to punishment in hell or sin and punishment and judgment, all of those things, I would have a sensation of grating against my spirit of this is not what I truly experienced. It was really difficult. I knew God was real. I knew Jesus was real. But I also knew that messages that were being presented as representing God and Jesus were not what I had actually experienced of being in that afterlife. I had a very hard time with that, and I began to turn to learning other forms of spirituality and looking at other faiths and looking at what were the foundational truths that were present in all different areas and what things were not the same. For a while, I stepped away from the church completely, which was really difficult for my family and for my marital relationship. Statistics show that 70-some percent of people who are married when they have a near-death experience end up in divorce. And that's because you truly are a different person than the person that they chose to marry. Mm-hmm. Are there elements of who you are that remain that are solid enough to keep a relationship together or not depends on the individual, I think. And I've been very fortunate that although my husband and I did separate for a period of time, we worked and came back together and he came to know that the changes in me were not making me totally different person than who I was. They were just kind of growth that I hadn't had prior to that point. But in my spirituality, I also learned about meditation. That was a tremendous help to me too, because I had so many questions and felt like I didn't have places to turn for elaboration on what I had experienced other than reading other books from other people. One of the questions that kept haunting me a lot was who was my guide? In meditation over time, I came to be able to get deep enough to be able to ask to reconnect with the guide who had been in my near-death experience. So eventually, he actually showed himself to me again as he had looked in my near-death experience and said, I'm your spiritual guide. That's why I was in your near-death experience with you. He said, my name is Carlos. I lived a lifetime on earth with you thousands of years ago in South America. And this all was downloaded to me in this deep meditation. It was a few weeks after that meditation that I attended a consciousness conference here in Raleigh, North Carolina. And in between sessions, there was a lady talking and a couple of people standing around her. And I was drawn to her for some reason. She was talking about how she was a healing touch teacher and practitioner and that she had just returned from Peru where she had been teaching. And in the course of her conversation, she said that one day she had been planning to go to this sacred site and the transportation fell through. But she said this young man who was from Argentina and attending the conference said he knew where it was and he wouldn't mind taking her. She agreed. And they went to the sacred site and she said she had been so impressed by this young man all through the conference because he just had such a 
strong spiritual presence about him. And when they got to this sacred site, she said that she had a vision of having lived in the time of that site and him also being there. And she said, I was so impressed that I've decided to have him come to my holistic center here in Raleigh and give him more advanced training. So she said, next week, Carlos is going to be coming. (laughs) So at this point, I burst into tears when she's looking at who's this strange lady standing here, (laughs) bursting into tears. I told her my near-death story. I told her my meditation story. And she says, oh, I've got a picture of him on my phone. Can I show it to you? And so she brought up the picture of him on the phone, and it was my spiritual guy. Other than being in modern clothes, it was him. And then she showed me the picture of the site that they had visited, and it was exactly like where I first came out of the cave-like tunnel area in my near-death experience, and it was this dry, rocky ground and stuff. It was exactly like that. So I told her that, you know, when we had come up over this incline area, that it was suddenly totally different and it was lush and green. And she says, that's exactly what it's like at Caral Supe is the name of the the site. She said, because it's down in an area where it's very dry, but then up over as you come up and out of it, she said, it's very close to the ocean and the breezes and the moisture that comes off the ocean make it all very green and lush. So I got to meet him when he came to Raleigh, and he had this immense connection as I did to him. And he said, I don't understand this or have any memory of your near-death experience or anything. But he said, I just, I know what you're telling me is true. And I actually asked him, when were you born? And how old are you now? And I figured out that at the time that I had my near-death experience, He was literally two years old. And so he was already born here on earth. And I thought, how can that possibly be? How can he be my spiritual guide and have been two years old when my near, I'm thinking all this linear time thing. And then I was directed to the books by Michael Newton. I want to break here as we go on to having a pretty good conversation about the concept of time and also who we really are as human beings. And I love that Karen brought up meditation. I once heard this quote by Osho. You've heard, don't just sit there, do something. Well, he says, don't just do something, sit there. We'll be right back. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Don't go anywhere. There's more Shades of the Afterlife coming right up. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. 
Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey, it's producer Tom, and you're right where you need to be. This is the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey everyone, it's the Wizard of Weird, Joshua P. Warren. And now, here's more Shades of the Afterlife. to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain. And Karen Blance Thomas was talking about how she could have met her guide in this life, yet she knew him on the other side. So we get into a little conversation about the nature of reality. I was directed to the books by Michael Newton. Have you heard of the oh, Journey of Souls? Journey of Souls and Destiny of Souls. And so I began reading those books And sure enough, I found in a section, and I think it was his second book, where he talked about the fact that when people choose to incarnate on Earth, they don't take their entire soul 
spiritual essence with them. A portion of it remains on the other side. And that it's also possible for a person to have their spiritual guide actually incarnate in the same lifespan time frame of the person that they're a spiritual guide to because the portion of their spirit that's still on the other side can fully be their spiritual guide, not restricted by time in any way. And yet they can incarnate as a totally new person and come in contact with the person that they're a spiritual guide for. Then he gave some examples of people where that had taken place. And he said, sometimes they only meet one another in passing. Sometimes they have an important thing that they serve for that person. And in other times, they're very intimately involved in the person's life. And so that really answered that unsolvable muddle in my brain as to how that could possibly be. There's been some great stories of reincarnation and people remembering kids, especially remembering their last lives. Dr. Ian Stevenson, who's deceased now, but he spent his whole life studying thousands of children and past life memories and how accurate they were. But then you think, well, if they come back, how can mediums still tune into their essence? It's, it's all very confusing. But what it you're is, saying makes sense because, mm-hmm. yeah, there can be different parts of us. And I also know of a study that there were two different daughters on two continents and the mother was deceased. And at the very same time, these daughters went to see a medium and the mother was talking to both of them at the same time through mm-hmm. the mediums. So our consciousness can split and be in different places at once. So yeah, why can't one be on earth, but still part of it be in the afterlife? I've had past life regression done because of learning about Michael Newton. I've had between lives regression done. And after having that done in my meditation, then my spiritual guide came back to me again. And he said, my spiritual name, and this came through in the between lives regression also. My spiritual name is not Carlos. I gave you the name Carlos, and he told me what the spiritual name was, which was Tamal. But I gave you the name Carlos. I gave you the visual presentation of myself, both in your near-death experience and in meditation, so that you would be triggered to recognize my real self now so that you would be able to know that it's one and the same. So that was fascinating as well. There's so much a bigger picture. And as human beings, I can't help but think it's just easy for us to buy into us having to experience it to know it's real. But meanwhile, there's just this so much bigger thing. Anita Morjani, I don't know if you've read her book, Dying to Be Me. She's one of those miraculous recoveries of being totally near death, body filled with cancer to just the opposite, healthy and alive. But in her near-death experience, she said it was like our life now as if we're in a super huge room and there's just a flashlight being directed on one little spot. So what we can see it through that the light of this flashlight, okay, that's our life. But not knowing, it's like this giant warehouse with so much more. It's just not illuminated. So I can't help but think even having concepts of our consciousness being in two different locations at once, who we are right now in this physical body can't get it all. Just like I'm sure you can't put into words exactly every experience you had in your near-death experience. 
It's very true. Yeah. I really think that during that gap in my memory of the near-death experience, I think that at that point, I probably was actually able to really meet and somewhat meld with God, the light. And it was such an immense, emotional, total experience because I've met someone since through IONS who did have that experience that I may even have chosen, please don't let me remember this, this much. The, the amount that I can remember is going to be very difficult for me to go back into my mundane, everyday earth life. But if I remember this immensity on top of it, I just don't know if my little Karen mind is going to be able to handle living day to day with that. I don't know for sure that that has happened. I think that was what happened in that gap, but that's just an educated guess on my part. I think it's a good one. I've had lots of guests and talk to people that have experienced really immense grief coming back in their body, not only feeling the physicality and the pain and the restriction of having a body, but to have experienced complete unconditional love, something they've never felt before, and then be thrown back into planet Earth, which is not that, and that feeling of really missing it, that feeling of grief. And it takes time. Some people, a lot of time, but I think most people have had near-death experiences actually end up turning their lives over to wanting to serve, wanting to make a difference, being oh. the best person they can be. How is your fear of dying these days? Do you have any fear of death? No, not whatsoever. The only thing that I would say being absolutely truthful is the lead up to death, all of that sort of thing that may go with certain types of death yeah. prior to the actual death. That. I will admit I would just as soon not have to go through (laughs) and would have somewhat of a fear of, but death itself, not at all, because I know what a release and what a joy that is actually going to be, not necessarily for the people that you leave behind. They're the ones who are sad and in sorrow, but you're in more joy than you can imagine. And now part of what had been difficult for me was that I had been myself, a seven-year-old who lost my father. And when my father died, um, we were out in a boat together and he had a massive heart attack. And it was a very traumatic thing. My mother was there and my mother had sent me up to, to change out of my clothes, out of my bathing suit and back into clothes. And I remember being in, a, in the backseat of the car and just begging God, please don't let my father be dead don't let him die. And when he died, being very angry at God and feeling very unworthy, what was wrong with me? Why wasn't I good enough? So all of that was in the background before I had my near-death experience. And I had gone through a lot of years of trying to be worthy of God and trying to be good enough. And of course, being human, always falling short and always being disappointed. And so the near-death experience was such an immense, different concept for me that I wasn't this unworthy, sinful, mistake-making, never get it right, never possible to be good enough human. I was this beloved, precious 
so loved child of God, as was my father. So it just really turned my world upside down. It's lovely, your vision of your dad and your Mm -hmm. family and knowing that they'll be right there when that moment comes. Yeah. Wow. Let me just say, we only have a few minutes left. How do you think you live your life differently by having this experience? Exactly what I was just saying, that I know how very much I'm loved and how precious I am and how important love is in this world and how much people need it to be expressed to them and how much help you can offer to someone by being there and showing them love. All of these things have been very different for me than what I had experienced before. So I am back involved with a very different type of church, but within the church, I sing in the choir, I do readings, I take communion to shut-ins, I am working on a program right now with a couple of wonderful people that are developing a program of help with the after effects for people who've had near-death experiences to help them have a form of lifeline to integrate back into their lives with less trauma and more support and helping them to find out how they can be better at expressing that love to all the people that are in their world around them. Oh, how great. Before we close up the episode, do you have any words of wisdom or advice you want to give us just for today? Something to remember, something to keep our eye on, something to inspire us? I would say think of the ways that you can help yourself be more of an example of love to the people in the world around you. Not necessarily just your immediate family, but anyone that you might come in contact with. Be consciously looking for ways that you can express kindness and that you can express love because it may be something that they haven't gotten anywhere else and it may help them to open up to the love that's there within themselves. Karen, thank you for being our guest here today. Oh, you're very welcome. And for you, our fabulous listener, thank you for taking the time to listen. Boy, I tell you, living as a human being is awful sometimes, isn't it? Painful, tough, fearful, all those things. Just imagine that invisible support that's around you and that you are loved and share that love. If you haven't taken me up on my offer, go to wedontdie.com, add your email address to my list. You'll get a pop-up with a full copy of my book, We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death, filled with empowerment. And chapter 10 is How to Survive Grief. I'm Sandra Champlain. From the bottom of my heart, thank you for listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Make sure and check out all our shows on the iHeartRadio app or by going to iHeartRadio.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you 
and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far... I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.